Welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners, I'm Anthony. And I'm Thane, and this episode is all about Transvolcania. Welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners. And this episode we're both really excited about because it's about the race that started our ultra running journey together. Uh, and it's Transvolcania. It's also the first one we're recording by Skype. So this is a whole new experience from us. And uh, yeah, it could be quite amusing. <laughs> so look, uh, Thane, tell us what we're going to talk about in the episode. What we're going to do is is kind of more or less do a guide to Transvolcania. We're going to give a race overview. We're going to do a bit about training for it, travel choices about getting there, registration, talk about some of the other races that go on over the course of the that week. So there's the VK and the kids race, cover the race briefing, the kit you've got to take, getting to the start. It's an early start, so getting that right is important. Then cover each off each of the legs that you have to do. Then we're going to understand bits of prep, aid and kind of things we did uh the finish etc so that's basically it's going to be a warts and all this is how you do the race this is this is what we did this is how it comes together so if you're running the race um then this will be a really good useful guide to listen to yep so that's it uh let's crack on mate race overview right so transvolcani is a 74.3 kilometer ultra marathon it has 4350 meters of positive gain and 4057 meters of negative gain Um, and its highest altitude is at Roque de los Muchachos at 2421 meters you start at sea level and you descend down to sea level before going back up to the finish yeah and it takes place on the island of La Palma in the Canary Islands Um, and it's the first run of the Skyrunner World Series season yep it's a beautiful run around a what do you call it? Kalmadara? A caldera. Oh, yeah. She's like a sunken um, uh, volcano. Um, and there's lots of volcanoes, small volcanoes all the way around the course. And you basically run around this huge ridge line. Beautiful views all the way around. Yeah. And we can get more into that as we go through the race. So Thane and I decided we were going to run Transvolcania and uh, decided we were going to go. We need to put lots of training in for it. So you know, what did we do for that? Well, back in the UK, it was hill work, hill work, and more hill work. And I don't think we could overstress enough, and everybody we speak to can't overstress enough how much doing hill work is important for Transvolcania. Yeah. We've got a run in Bristol we talked about before. It's called Bridge Valley Road, and we'd regularly just run up and down that 20 times on a Sunday morning, which would give us 1,500 metres of ascent. To put it in perspective, that's a third of Transvolcania. So it's really important. Do as much hill work as you possibly can. I mean, basically looking at the, at the stats, you're doing effectively almost one and three quarter marathons and over three Ben Nevises. Yeah. It's a, a significant undertaking. And you'll be going mostly uphill for the first eight, nine hours probably of the race if you're a 12 hour pace runner. So that's kind of where you're where you're going to be. Outside of that, there are a couple of bits that we think were really important. Number one. Uh, we used poles in Transalcania. Have a look at Steve Cousins' blog from his 2016 run, and he, which he called Poles or No Poles on film, his film run website. And he makes it very clear uh, that he wishes he'd used poles. And I know he, we spoke to him last year when we were there, and he used poles then. And I think poles is definitely the thing to do. If you're going to do it, and we would recommend it, make sure you practice with them. I had issues with my poles in the race, and uh, probably because I hadn't practiced with them enough. I think 80% of the runners... Um, have poles use poles uh, it is a lot of an as- of ascent that for the distance and keeping yourself upright and keeping yourself going uh, is important sorry they really helped me on the downhill as well i found them probably that i found, found them more useful with downhill at the race just to make give me the confidence to go downhill at pace that's where i found them really important um a couple of other tips we'd have for you when you go out to do your training runs practice sprinting for the first two minutes of your run we'll get into why that is later on in the podcast but that's really important. The beginning of the race at Transalcania is quite unique. And I would just suggest you, you do that. So the last bit of our training, and I appreciate everyone do this. Thane and I went out to La Palma for a week in March to run the entire course in a few stages and have a bit of a holiday as well. 
Uh, it was a brilliant experience, and that experience really paid dividends for us during the race. Yeah, we knew the course, we knew how to pace ourselves. So as far as travel choices go, um, you can do the kind of package holiday thing, or what we did was actually we went um, Airbnb and sorted out our own accommodation. Lots of hotels and bits around the island. If you stay on the east coast, just be aware that it, it does cloud up over on that side more than it does the south and the west side. Um, there are a number of hotels down towards the south coast, which is near the start. But we stayed in Tazacorte, which has got the most sunshine on the island. Beautiful little place. And the VK starts from there as well. So you can actually um, watch some other racing and lots of nice little restaurants and things. So we stayed at Tazacorte at Airbnb and that worked perfectly well for us. Car high was relatively inexpensive. Obviously, we had the week there training and the week for the actual race itself. And we had no problems whatsoever getting around. Tazacorte was a small village, black volcanic sand, Brilliant restaurants, reasonably priced. People on the island throughout were fantastic everywhere. So we had we had a great time. So that's how we that's how we chose uh, to do our accommodation. Um, so a couple of things: if you're going to go out there training, it's difficult to get around the island, especially in March, by public transport. So what we ended up doing was hiring two cars, driving one to the end of our training runs, then driving to the beginning of our training runs, uh, running the training runs, <laughs> and then driving back to the beginning to pick up the cars. It made it into really long days. Um, we think that if we'd sorted it out well enough in advance, we might have found some travel companies who are doing tours around the island who might have dropped us off in coaches and possibly could have picked them up at other places. Driving it around made it very long days some days for us. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a bit more prep, but, um, but it would have probably been a lot easier. The other bit is if you go out yourself, um, you'll probably go out by EasyJet. They tend to fly out on a Tuesday. The race is on a Saturday. We thought that was really good timing for us most of the package holidays go out on a thursday so if that makes a difference to you but um very few of them see fly out on a saturday and of course if you're racing a saturday flight doesn't work anyway so actually the flights on tuesdays and thursdays work really well yeah that worked because we were able to acclimatize and there was no real panic and we had a couple of days afterwards to um chill out before coming back so it's the right way around yeah and i think we would definitely recommend staying on the as Thane said, on the west side of the island. And Tazacorte was great for several reasons. As he said, the vertical kilometres started there, but also the marathon finished there. So there was just a really great atmosphere in the town for most of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so once you've got there and you've got yourself settled in your accommodation, one of the first things you're going to want to do ready for Transvulcania is to register. Registration opens on the Wednesday with the race on the Saturday and takes place in Los Alanos, which is where the race finishes. That's great because you get up there, you can have a look at the race finish, uh, work out with your family where they're going to meet you after the race, um, which is all great. And then move over to uh, race registration, which is effectively just like a, a mini expo for Transvulcania. You get your souvenir T-shirt, your souvenir armbands. Most importantly, you get your race chip. Make sure you test your race chip. They have a computer there for you to touch your race chip onto and your name appears on a screen. Good opportunity to take a photo. But that's important to do if you want your timings to work throughout the race. And as I said, you get a great goodie bag with lots of stuff. We got our photo taken and we got ended up being tweeted. We're almost like tweet number one of Transvolcania 2017. We were the faces of Transvolcania 17 registration. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that's up in Los Alanos, which is another good place to stay, I think, if you're going to stay at Transvolcania. It'd be in the race finish and also where all the transport goes from or a lot of the transport goes from on the way to the race on race morning. Okay, so there are actually five races that take place over the Transvulcania period. The main races are the Ultra, that's obvious, the Half Marathon, which is the first bit of the Ultra, the Marathon, which is the last bit, basically, of the Ultra, and then there's also a kids' race, which takes place on the Friday evening, uh, which is really lovely, up at a place called El Pilar, and then a vertical kilometre, and that takes place on the Thursday, and that starts in Puerto Tezacorte. Yeah, and that's a, that's a brilliant atmosphere to whet your appetite with it starts in the center of tazacorte porte tazacorte and just basically goes up the switchbacks which are spectacular in themselves goes up there and it goes up to basically the next aid station so you're working backwards up the ultramarathon course they've got screens and uh, they've got cameras up the course so you can see the runners going up so everyone starts in uh, reverse order where you've got the pros going off last. So you were able to actually see uh, Louis Alberto Hernando um, start last and chase the pack down. And that, that was really nice to see see the pros perform. And a bit that's really lovely about the kids race is they get exactly the same finishers medal as the ultramarathon runners do, which I thought was really, really lovely. That's sweet. 
So the night before the race, the Friday night, uh, there's a race brief in a hotel in Santa Cruz, which is the capital of La Palma. It's about halfway down the island on the East Coast. If you don't want to go to Santa Cruz it's, or you want to go to the kids race, not a problem. They actually stream it live on Facebook Live, which is really useful. And I think it's worth listening to if you can. But if you've read all the instructions, there was nothing new in the race brief this year that wasn't in the race instructions. So, Kit, uh, there are four compulsory items. You need a fully charged phone. You need a survival blanket. You need one litre of liquid. And you need a head torch with a red backlight. So that's a forward-facing torch, um, headlamp, but with a rear-facing red light. And that's because you start at night and they don't want people running into each other. You only really need the head torch for about the first hour. uh, And then then there's enough light to run without it. Other things we suggest you taking is a long sleeve top for the coach when you get there. And also on some years it has been quite cold on top. If it's in the clouds, you're going to be very close to kind of zero degrees. Uh, so think about that. Obviously take blister kits, Vaseline, the stuff you would normally take for an ultra and some good old toilet paper. Vane always needs toilet paper. Toilet paper. Nothing worse than not having it. No, there's not. <laughs> and look, it's really important that you get the kit right before they let you into the start pen they checked this year or rather last year they checked every single person and made them prove their four items of kit yeah and there were people there who hadn't read the instructions and were running around trying to find mobile phones to borrow and things like that so really really important yeah so um getting to the start of the race there's only one road into the start of the race which is by lighthouse on the very southern tip of la palma so our advice is to get the organized coaches. Do not get your family to go with you. Go in the organized coaches and you can book those at race registration. They're completely free. Uh, it's absolutely fine. And, and they're really, really good. They go from the coach station in Los Alanos. They also go from the Princess Hotel on the south coast. And I think they go from Santa Cruz on the east coast as well. So lots of options to get to the start. And, and I think some other hotels kind of lay on transport as well. But uh, but those are the transportation methods that are kind of advertised. So, look, you want to be at front, the front of the filter down to the start because you want to get to as close to the front of the pen as you can, even if you're not that quick a runner. And we'll explain why as we talk about the beginning of the race. So get down into the pen as early as you can. I said they open it at five o'clock. The build up in over the next hour until the six o'clock start is brilliant. Loads of loud rock music, people chanting, bouncing up and down. Uh, They project the countdown clock for the start of the race onto the side of what effectively is a big rock face next to the start. Um, Yeah, it's really cool. And they're interviewing all the pros at the start line. Yeah, it's a really great atmosphere. If you like ACDC, you'll love the start. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get a lot of of ACDC, a lot of other rock tunes. So look, as it gets to the start, things from the old thing do quieten down a bit what's it time to do then as i said thane said earlier if you've got a top and you put it on the coach the coaches we found were air conditioned really quite cold and so you want that top on time to get it off get it packed in your bag and get ready because when the hooter goes you need to be ready to sprint so when we did our training week we recorded some clips in particular from the lighthouse to el pilar so within the next section of this podcast we're just going to interject seven clips which will give you an idea of how we felt running the course. So here we are on the southern tip of La Palma, uh, down by the lighthouses. Uh, And this, in eight weeks' time, will look very different as 2,000 people line up for the Transvolcania Ultramarathon. Today, Thane and I are going to run from here uh, up to the top of the first ridge uh, and back down to El Pilar. That's about 24.5 kilometres with 2,000 metres of climb. So at 6 o'clock, a hooter sounds, the race starts, an absolute bedlam ensues because everybody who knows anything about the race wants to get to the first bit of single trail as quickly as they can. So you sprint out the starting pen, you sprint up a short incline and you sprint around the back of the lighthouse. At this point, you're about 10 people wide. You then hit the GR131, which is the trail that you follow for the majority of Transylvania. It's a two-person wide trail. At best. For the first... Yeah, at best for the first two or three kilometers. Now, if you can imagine 2,000 people trying to get onto that, it takes some people about 20 minutes to get onto that trail, just stood around. So if you want a decent time, because it's a gun-to-chip time, you need to be near the front. 
And don't worry, it will sort itself out fairly quickly. You're not going to hold people up. People will come around you. You'll be looping around people backwards and forwards all day. And it's single track a lot of the day. So people get used to passing each other. So after about 10 minutes of madness, because people won't try and stick to the two people wide track, they'll try and go round and there's rocks coming everywhere as people are knocking loose stones down. It settles down and you start the first hikey bit, which for the non-elites is about three kilometres of uphill hiking. Now, for the first element of Transalcani, the first 7K, you're not allowed to use your poles because of the size of trail and everybody trying to get up it. So having gone about three kilometres um, up a fairly steep side of a volcano you then hit a three kilometer section of fire track which is nice easy jogging and you get to go along before another one kilometer fairly steep walk up to the first day station in a place called los canarios now the the support in los canarios was absolutely phenomenal they know everybody's going to get through there in the space of about an hour and the entire town turns out i couldn't believe the fact that seven kilometers into an ultramarathon i got offered a glass of wine and a slice of parma ham um, I didn't take either of them. It was seven o'clock in the morning and I really, really, really didn't feel like much. And that level of support, though, pretty much carries on over the whole island through the whole race. Every time you hit anywhere where there's any sort of housing, people are out cheering, offering you food and drink. Uh, it's an absolutely amazing day in terms of support. No, it really, the, the atmosphere throughout the whole race is really good. Um, there's really good spirit among all the runners and really good interaction and support from the people of the island. So having climbed that final slope, been offered food and wine and arrived in the most amazing sport in Los Canarios, you'll have been going for about an hour and six minutes if you're on a 12-hour schedule. So that just gives you an idea of sort of level of effort for the first seven kilometres of the race. And if you think the race is about 75 kilometres, you realise it's kind of about that level of, of running the whole time, really. So we're about six and a half kilometres in. Uh, we've got into um, Los Canarios. Uh, Thane's not that far behind me on the trail, although he's uh, managed to lose a water bottle on the way. Uh, so we're going to refuel here uh, and then carry on up the trail. Once you've left Los Canarios, you can get your poles out. And I would suggest you too, because you're really now going about to start climbing. And when we trained for Transylvania, I think I found that bit possibly the toughest, although not in the race. Uh, the, tra- the climb from Los Canarios up to the next aid sta- station um at leicester cds is pretty steep um and pretty tough going and you climb from what is almost a coastal town albeit a little way up a mountain through sort of old volcanic forest so it's volcanic ash and rock underneath but forests and pine trees and then throughout of those into what's almost like a moonscape so halfway through the run uh we're in this forest we've been in it basically since we uh, came out of los canarios first four kilometers were uh, really tough out of Los Caneros. It was effectively like, you can see this stuff's like sort of sand. It was like running up a sand dune for four kilometers. But hey, it's nice and cool in the cloud, halfway through. Uh, in about, uh, if I can show you, 1.55. So not too bad. Keep cracking on. Yeah, it's a beautiful section of trail and it's unrelenting uphill really. There's no downhill sections at all for almost well for our pace almost three hours um it is but it's a it's lovely uh it's quite cool still um the sun by the time you've gone through los canarios the sun's coming up uh and it's just a really nice mornings running or i say nice mornings running nice mornings hiking at speed yeah yes it's definite hiking at speed so when you get to last the CDS at 16 kilometers, you've climbed about 2000 meters into the sky. You'll have been running or, as Thane said, speed hiking for about three hours. The 12 hour schedule puts it at two hours, 52. And Leicester CDS, like Los Canarios, um, is a liquids only aid station. At this point, you are above the clouds. This is what the Skyrunner series is all about. You feel like you're literally miles up in the sky. And I guess you are at least over a mile up into the sky. It's absolutely amazing. So after you go through to CDS, there's one little hill in the distance. You climb up that, and then you start a seven-kilometer run down into El Pilar. So uh, 16 kilometers in, uh, near enough three hours. Uh, it's just been an uphill slog ever since uh, the last bit at 12 kilometers. Um, hopefully, uh, we've done the most of it, as you can see. 
it looks like hopefully it's downhill from here but uh, there's still a couple of big hills in the distance I don't know if we've got to do those or not uh, Lane's just behind me uh, it's a beautiful day and the views from up here are amazing on this side cloud and there's some trees and on this side a huge magma field it's incredible absolutely incredible El Pilar's the first major aid station and the first cutoff of the race. There's a huge amount of support there and family and friends can get a bus from Los Alanos that will take them up to El Pilar so they can support you and, and crew for you as well if you want them to. It's also the marathon start. So there's loads of families that have gone up there to see people start the marathon. So it's an absolutely pumping atmosphere. It really, really is. And the aid stations are stocked with absolutely everything yeah on top of that it's also the finish of the half marathon so you've got all the people waiting to uh, cheer everyone to the finish of that so there's a lot going on at that aid station yeah that absolutely was so here we are in beautiful el pilar um at the end of the run uh my i managed to switch my gps off um for part of it so i think i've uh, my gps shows um 349 and um 22.81 kilometers uh, the thing I'm about 1.7 kilometres short on that, so it was probably around four hours, I think. But I'll should be able to work it out when Thane gets back. Uh, last bit was tough, a lot of downhill, and it looks like I might have a blister on my heel, which is a nightmare. Uh, but uh, it's lovely to be here, and hey, first bit conquered. So having been running for 24 kilometres, three hours 50 odd when we got there, three hours 46 is a 12 hour schedule. Thane's girlfriend, who was acting as crew for us, was most disappointed that we arrived in the aid station at El Pilar after nearly four hours, 30 seconds apart, which was her worst nightmare as she was trying to help both of us replace food and drinks and things into our into our race vests. Her face was an absolute picture. <laughs> she did a good job. She did a great job, and she got the transport, the buses, up from Los Alanos, which is perfect. As soon as she finished with us, she managed to jump on a bus and be back at the finish and enjoy the finish all day. So that's yeah. great. And a tip from her would be you're probably going to be waiting in the cloud. So um, wrap up warm. Yeah, definitely get your families to wrap up warm. It's not, although it's a lovely island in the Canaries, up in those clouds, it's not that warm at all. And in fact, when we were training and we ran from El Pilar to Rocky de los Machachos, it was a bit effectively freezing when we started running in the morning. It was. So um, what would I say about the aid stations throughout the race? They're really well manned. The people are amazingly friendly. You're feeling tired already. You've been going four hours. You know you've got, say, another eight hours left to go if you're running a 12-hour schedule. There is a real temptation to spend a lot of time in the aid stations having a rest. It's, of course, really important that you get the right nutrition on board. But the longer you stop for, the harder it is to get going again. And like in triathlon, where transition is the fourth discipline, aid stations are just taking away from your race time. So... Really think about how much you balance that with get, making sure you get the right nutrition and rest on board. Yeah, because there's what, like 10 aid stations or getting on for that in total over the whole course. So you spend three minutes on each one, that's half an hour. It, it adds up. Well, yeah, and I think most people will probably on average spend more than three minutes at an aid station by the mm. time they start refilling bottles and eating stuff. So, yeah, definitely. There's an interesting bit at El Pilar because the ma- that's the marathon start. And for your mid-pack runners, that means starting, you'll be effectively going through that aid station or getting back onto the trail just before or after the marathon start. Yeah, so the actual ultra starts at six in the morning. The marathon starts at 10 in the morning. And if you're running a 12-hour schedule, you'll go into El Pilar at about quarter to 10. Yeah, it was quite funny because they the marathon started only about two minutes behind me when I left the aid station and I actually I actually ran an underneath a couple of drones that were just hovering above the road recording the start for the marathon so I literally got around the corner and then the pack of marathon runners went flying past which is quite cool because you had all some of the top names like Louis Alberto and stuff going past and I was like cheering them on so but anyway that, that the next that whole section from El Pilar to Reventon is effectively a fire track and it's by far the broadest section on the course. It is, um, you could fit six people, seven, eight people wide along the whole section. It's used by um, vehicles. There's a, It goes along a relatively flat um, part of the course, so very runnable. Uh, and there's a number of uh, uh, radar antennas and stuff along, so it's for service vehicles. 
Um, so that's quite easy running, and, and that's quite a good place just to gather yourself because uh, at Reventon you then have got another two and a half odd hours of climbing uh, to get up to Pico de la Neve. So that section takes you about full 30 to 40 minutes. Um, the actual timing mat, we can work out how come people were doing it in like 20, 25 minutes, but that's because the timing mat, the timing mat is, uh, is a quarter of a mile, half a mile before you actually get to the aid station, which is a bit of a mystery we couldn't work out during training. Um, but you get to Reventon, what we would say is make sure you're fully topped up on water because uh, you've now got two and a half hours of climbing or so um, in of hard climbing um, in the heat of the day if you're a mid-pack runner. Um, I had I've, I re-topped up my two bottles in my front which meant I had a litre and a half but I didn't fill up the spare one I had in my back. I didn't think I'd need it and I wish I had because I, I, I did need it. Um, uh, I got by it wasn't it wasn't desperate situation but I'd have been a lot more comfortable um, to have more water with me I don't know how you found it yeah I mean I so as you climb out of Reventon as Thane said uh there's a it's a fairly steep but a very narrow single track and the thing to think about there is that you're now amongst the marathon runners and so they're pushing quite hard you can feel quite pressured because they're some of them are up behind you trying to push up the trail. And so you might well find that you go a little bit harder than you would normally go. And because of that, you're going to get more tired. You're going to be more thirsty and want to drink more liquid. Uh, there's a, a refuge um, about an hour. I think I seen I think it's about an hour after you get out of Reventon. And that's where I first managed to stop and have a really good, decent bit to eat and something to drink. And I drained a water bottle. Mm. just there um yeah. and realized that i needed to take the spare one that i carried a third spare one with me uh, and i had that in my backpack and took that out and i was really glad i had it there's a really interesting dynamic that we hadn't appreciated at all um which kicks in for the mid-pack runners and that's when you get to reventon um and i say that the, the lead pack for the marathon runners were going were past me quite quickly but i ended up towards the mid well probably more towards the backpack back of the marathon pack when i left reventon to go up to pico de leave for those next two and a half hours so i was in amongst people who weren't necessarily so fast now i'd already done like over half a marathon of quite hard hill climbing already so i was a bit tired but i ended up you end up getting locked into a particular pace now you were only about five seven minutes i think i think max ahead, ahead of, of me but that meant yeah. you when you went into that single track you were locked into a much faster group of runners yeah which effectively meant that you were being pulled up faster than i was or or being slowed down or whatever but but it was we never considered that kind of dynamic so if you if you're if you're going for that if you're in around that 12 hour time it can really impact your race when you leave Reven when you get to Reventon and leave so it's something to be cautious of yeah uh, and it can make it quite tough and I think if you run in the 12-hour schedule which is kind of what we hope to be roughly around it you're in that really the bad sweet spot for want of a better term the unsweet spot yeah. of the marathon runners right at the wrong time um but that climb and that run in the lovely weather of La Palma in my head is possibly one of the most beautiful bits of the course you're running round the sides of, of mountains not necessarily on the top of them on really really narrow tracks with massive steep drop-offs down the side you can see the other canary islands in the distance the clap the clouds are all below you it's absolutely beautiful if a little bit painful yeah i, I would say it's, it's the most stunning trail i've ever run on uh, i would do that race in an instant just to run that section again it was when we ran it in training uh, I, I kid you not it, i was i was uh, i was welling up uh, at certain sections it was absolutely gorgeous when we did it in training with that the the uh the clouds were literally rolling over the top of the ridge if anyone who's seen the film arrival know what i'm talking about with the spaceships just hovering and you've got that cloud rolling over the hill it was like that it was absolutely stunningly beautiful and you you're dodging each side of the the ridge line on some really narrow trails and it uh, is like something out of uh, lord of the rings i kept expecting to bump into bilbo baggings at any moment it was uh, stunning um and in fact we recorded a little bit on our training run and this is thane's reaction on seeing those clouds wow wow 
cloud rolling over the ridge. And we're in the sun, which is nice. What do we think? We think it's nicer in the sun than it was in the clouds <laughs> earlier on this morning. We think it's nice. <laughs> wow. So there you go. As you can see, he was really quite uh, happy to be seeing the clouds. I was just happy that I was out of the clouds because it was freezing when we did the training run. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, there was little bits of sleet. In fact, <laughs> it was yeah. quite cold. So eventually, you'll come down to Pika Dillonieve. Uh, it's quite a steep approach down to Dillonieve, and this is where I had uh, my biggest fall of the day. Uh, tripping over my poles, managed to snap one of them in half and skidded down the mountain about five meters. It was one of those moments where the entire race stopped around me and people just leant over me and said, are you okay? And I was probably a little bit, um, well, I, I know I was very upset with myself at the time and I probably wasn't as polite to those people who were being really kind um, to ask people to get up. I think I, what I said was, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. So to anybody who was there, uh, I do apologise. I know I was a little bit ungrateful at that point, but I had a massive graze down my side and was just a little bit upset. Oh, <laughs> don't know what yeah, to say. I, know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Oh. So you're going to get to Piccadilly and Eve. Some, if you're running a 12-hour schedule at about half past 12, if you're running a 14-hour schedule, you're going to get there at about half past one. It's really hot, and it's one of the lowest bits of that top bit of the course, if you like. So... By the time I got there, and I think when you got there as well, mate, we were hanging out. Yeah, that that was the hardest bit of the whole course for me. Um, I, I ended up, I think, just overheating a little bit. Um, I hadn't completely run out of water, but I, I, and I, would want, I wanted to take on more because I just didn't have quite enough with me. Um, but I, I don't think that was the reason that I was overheating. I, I just was. It, it's hard. You're pushing yourself hard. You've been going for a long time. You've climbed a heck of a lot um and yeah a couple of times on the trail i just had to pull over to the side for two minutes and just and just just calm down um and uh yeah. and at that age that was the longest i spent in any aid station was a pico de leave i was just gathering myself having lo loads of i had lots of orange and watermelon all kinds of things just gathered myself a bit it's it's quite hot and um and then you've got to go back up and start going back uphill again not ne you've done most of the climb now but you've you've still you've kind of done three quarters of the overall climb on the course if not a bit more but it, it but it's quite when you look at it as we did before you do the race if, if you don't look at it in detail you think that that whole top section from pico de la neve yeah it goes up for a while um but then you work your way round to roque de la machachos and it looks kind of flat at first glance but it really isn't um, and you look at the time people are taking and you're thinking, God, I could run that really a lot faster than, than what people are. But it's it's tough. It, you're just dropping and going up and down a few metres all the time. Yeah, and I think I left Neve, and like you, I'd spent quite a long time there because I was really hot. And as I left Neve, it's a really, really steep climb for the first kilometre or so. And I got about 500 metres up the trail and had to pull over. And for me, it was the saving, it was the saving of my race, I think. Because at that point, I felt utterly exhausted. But when I stepped back onto the trail, having had a little bit to eat and something to drink again, I got behind a slow group. And it was such tight single track, I couldn't get past. And I was forced to follow them and managed to consolidate. And I think there is that little bit, I think, of advice from us is, you know, if you do slow down just a bit, it's amazing how much you can recover. And on an ultra, you know, don't just don't have to push for the time. Just you're pushing to get round in something like Transylvania. So, you know, that's that again would be one of my bits of advice from the race is be prepared to slow down. Don't worry if you slow people down behind you, because those people that slowed people down there in front of me in the end, I was really grateful that they'd slowed me down. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the view. Enjoy. Enjoy the run. Um, oh, I, the, I, and the views are amazing. Yeah. When I, when I left um, Pico de la Nevia, I pulled over. I think we might have pulled over in the same place. There's a few people pulling over in this little bit. And I, I just had to have another two minutes there. Um just to calm down but when i got going again um i was able to sustain that for quite some time then i just i just started topping out again on them um, on internal body temperature or something yeah so then you climb out of neve and you get up to um pico de la cruz which is near enough the highest point of the race as thane said from cruz to okay los machachos you're, you're rolling up and down but it really isn't too bad um the climbs are fairly short if they sometimes quite steep 
but still fairly short. So although there's not much climbing per se, it's it's the saying before. It's not it's not very runnable though, is it? It's it's kind of very stop starty. There's lots of kind of little bits you've got to go down and go up. Um, rocks on the trail. It's a little bit tricky. It's trickier than than it looks at first glance. Yeah, and as you say, when you look at it on, on a map, you think oh, it won't take long, but it's it's over an hour from Neve to Pico de la Cruz, and then it's about an hour from Pico de la Cruz to Roque de los Muchachos if you're running a 12-hour schedule. So, you know, it, it does take a bit of time. But I found, because I've been running behind this really slow group that I eventually squeezed past once I've recovered, and it took me quite a long time to recover, because they were going so slow, there was no one in front of me on the track. And I did find for long sections, I was running just on my own. I literally couldn't see anybody. And actually, after being stuck in a big pack for a lot of the day, that was really quite liberating and quite nice. Yeah. And the views from up there are amazing. And just, we, we keep going on about the views over and over again. But the views really are just so amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you feel you could go a bit faster, just rest up and just enjoy it. I mean, wow. You know, there's not many times you get to run in places like that. No. And, and it is important though, to lift your head up and enjoy it and not just look at your feet on the trail. Yeah. So Roque de los Muchachos is, uh, is home to a huge number of telescopes. The skies around La Palma are really clear. And of course, the highest point of the island, it's up above the clouds. And so you're running towards them for quite a long time. And you're running around the edge of the caldera, the, the collapsed volcano. And you can see them coming. Uh, and they are quite a long way away when you start to see them. But surprisingly, I, I think when you're doing an ultra, I found that hour from cruise to uh, Roque, actually didn't seem to take like an hour at all at all it seemed to take sort of 20 minutes in my head uh maybe it's just because i was enjoying the race at that point and i've been running so long anyway your, t- your perception of time gets twisted a little bit yeah yeah I, I i i didn't to me it did take a long time and i know uh, we'll cover our kind of splits in a bit later but um but yeah i i think it did feel like hard work that section to me okay that's just because you're weak it is because i'm weak yeah, I think you were fifteen. <laughs> you were fifteen. I think about fifteen minutes faster from me over that, 20, that section. Yeah, about fifteen twenty minutes faster. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just because you're better. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, you arrive at Rock Angeles Machachos. If you're on a twelve-hour schedule, about eight and a half hours after you started the race, so it's about half past two in the afternoon. It is hot, but you are two and a half thousand meters up, and that does go some way at least. Um, to mitigating it uh and there can be a, a bit of a fresh breeze um so yeah so it's do you know what it wasn't in my head as hot as i thought it might be no it was quite still wasn't it, it wasn't as windy uh as it had been on some occasions when we've been up there so there's a lot of um uh, direct sunshine direct heat um and so uh it, it was it was it was quite nice actually on our day um i think we we'd been up there a couple of times in training and stuff, hadn't we? We went up there um, ahead of on the actual race week in advance as well, just to have a look at them setting up the uh, the, the aid station. And uh, it was windy on both the times we went up there previously, and it was really cold. Uh, but it wasn't on race day. No. Um, did the altitude affect our running? I can't say I felt at the time that it was affecting my running. You're what eight thousand feet, eight and a half thousand feet up. Yeah. So uh, maybe it does to a degree, but I can't say I can't say I've ever really thought oh, I'm gasping for breath because there's not enough oxygen around or anything silly like that. We did the maths before we went, didn't we? And according to the charts, it's about seventy-five to eighty percent of the oxygen at sea level. So I think if you're working hard as sea level creatures that we are, um, coming from the UK, you you do kind of feel it, but it's not in your face, is it? it, it you know you're tired anyway so it was dif- i found it difficult to differentiate between just being tired or whether it was an altitude thing yeah so Roca de los machachos is the second really big aid station they've got a marquee set up there there's hot food lots of chairs um there's medical support up there and your family can get a coach from los alanos up to Roque de los machachos we wouldn't recommend it because if they get up there and see you there there's a good chance that they might not get to the finish if they don't if they don't manage to hook up with the coach at the right time and everything else but if you've got a crew and they, you want to have someone up there they can definitely get up there and you'll get there as i said about eight and a half hours after you started the race if you're on a 12-hour schedule so about half past two in the afternoon really good station it's a good aid station um they've got i mean you get bowls of pasta and everything don't you there so um 
a lot of people kind of it seemed to be that quite a few people around me were actually stopping for like half an hour and i and i to be fair i think i stopped for probably seven eight minutes ten minutes maybe um i wish i hadn't really but but some people were spending you know they're having <laughs> look like they're having a three-course meal up there yeah i i was in and out yeah grab some gel grab some gels had a half a banana filled up my bottles and was out and gone in fact you can tell just looking at our split times i think i was there for like seven minutes or so by looking at it if you went straight through i think that's what i spent there right. yeah so rocky los muchachos highest point in the island um and from there you're going to run to tazacorte <laughs> <laughs> I have, I had, I had, a, I had a single pole at this point, which is making my running quite interesting. Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because I didn't know what you were going to say next. Because, and then comes the downhill. <laughs> yeah, and and so you leave Roque and you start on the downhill. And hey, look, mate, you talk about the downhill. The downhill, um, it's it's infamous, notorious, treacherous. Um, any word with OUS on the end really um, it's what 17 kilometres of just yep. pretty much straight down um, we you going to descend two and a half thousand metres of descent so what's that yeah. 15% gradient yeah, yeah just over yeah just two, about 2500 metres just under that I think it's 2300 down to zero and you do that practically um, at an average a, a very steady average um, gradient Um and it is the, the trail is hard going it's not easy trail to run there's a few sections which aren't too bad um there's a bit which is a little bit of road as you get towards the the um near the near the end but just before the uh, switchbacks but in the main it you've got to be concentrating it's very easy to go over and when i ran down there on the race i passed about four people who'd um, smashed in a knee or something or rolled an ankle um, and they were um, medics just going I mean they weren't in a really bad bad way but they'd obviously just gone over a little bit uh, and there are some bits which I think it's only really the experts who would, would even think about running down it uh, there's some real ankle twisty bits they're only what three four hundred yards young as a few of them isn't there um, so it's not a ridiculous amount but there's some you go around a couple of corners and you go oh my god and you just you just have to walk down <laughs> I mean I think to sum up how steep it is if you think how fast some of these top elite runners can run on the flat and the run from Roque down to Tazacorte takes the best runners and I mean the absolute world's best descenders an hour and 20 minutes for 17 kilometers and to put that into perspective I can run 17 kilometers in an hour and 20 minutes in a race on a on the flat yeah so and, the, and these are the world's elite. So it just shows you how hard a downhill run it is. That downhill run is not giving you extra speed. That downhill run is making it difficult to run. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the rundown. And it's a long time. I mean, as I said, on a 12-hour schedule, it's over two-and-a-half-hour run down a 15% gradient. And I think the one of the other defining bits about Transvolcani, we said hills, hills, hills. It's not just running up hills you've got to practice. It's running the downhills. And if you read a lot of forums, you know, for the first 50 kilometers, you're running uphill. And if you run that too hard, you're going to destroy your quads. And it's your quads that are going to save you on the downhill. And if you look at Steve Cousins from Film I Runs 2016 Transalcania video, you see what happens where someone's not got the quads to run down that hill. Uh, the poor bloke ended up walking down backwards. Yeah it's tough going and a lot of people who look at the race first of all think oh that'll be the bit i'll be able to make time up on but it really isn't no you're making up no time there <laughs> definitely not so you pass um an aid station um l team um where they've got they've got they've got a reasonable amount of stuff there i think most people are concentrated uh, on making it to the finish from that point down um but uh, i'll stop for a few minutes um and then you go down. It's a bit easier running from L team for a little while because there's some. Well, I say that you turn a corner and there's a terrible bit. But but generally speaking, there's really a really few, steep tarmac. There's bit. a few really steep tarmac bits uh, which Steve Cousins had to walk down backwards, didn't he? And um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite tough. If you make sure it's the day. That's the bit when you wish you didn't have shoes which were too tight and your feet, your toes were going into the front of them. It's a really good point of making sure that you've got those the, the shoes that. On a 15 degree gradient, you're not going to be smacking up against the end of it's a really good point. Yeah, because we we worked that out in training, didn't we? Because there's uh, there's no there's no hiding if it's tarmac and it's going down 15 20 degrees in some places. Um, 
your, your feet are just going to go whacking into the front of your shoe. There's no flat bit to put your shoe on. Um, so yeah, that's quite quite tough. Um, and then you end up at the top of the switchbacks, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, not as not as treacherous as it looks on the telly on the on the TV. You look at the footage, and it's like it's like people running off the side of a cliff. But actually, it's a really nice, um, short, sharp um, switchbacks over rock. Going down to Tazacorte. Tazacorte is where they um, are finishing the marathon. So you've got music pumping and all this kind of thing and they can see people coming down so you're kind of being watched as you come down this thing for 10-15 minutes or so and uh, that's just really nice because you know this is the last of the downhill there is no more downhill when you get to the bottom of that with those switchbacks yeah and but you've got to be really careful your footing even down there uh, I went past a marathon runner who was about three or four switchbacks up from the end um, who'd gone over and smashed his knee in. And in the end, he couldn't finish. He'd done the, nearly the entire marathon. He had maybe 500 metres to go and uh, went over on his leg. Um, yeah, absolutely awful. But yeah, he got he got medivaced off in the end. He went away. They had uh, medical people lift him up past me. Yeah, and, that, and they carried him across the finish line. I gather, yeah, yeah, they did. Um, which is very nice of them. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. But yeah, you run into Tazacorte. There's lots of people there. Lots of high fives as you're running through. Um, and then you have the, in many ways, awful bit of having to cross the marathon finishing line and the people from the marathon are just stopping and you've got to carry on running straight through past them uh, into the aid station at the back of the marathon finish line to get your last bit of aid before you start the final climb up into Los Alanos. Yeah, it's about five kilometres from there to Los Alanos. Yeah. Um, you go up the River of Souls. Uh, um, ravine of sorrows oh, rav- oh sorry <laughs> ravine of sorrows how close yeah. uh which is like a uh, a riverbed which in the summer is just dry um so there's a lot but there's, it's just basically full of boulders small medium-sized boulders rocks loose gravel um some and it, it has made little cuts in the rock in certain places uh which is quite interesting so you, you're yeah, kind so you're of running up sort of midi grand canyons aren't you yeah yeah it's quite it's quite a nice little bit um but it is you've got to be careful of your footing etc so you go along that for about a kilometer and a half and then you go uphill again and that uphill is a pretty steep uphill i'm not quite sure of the gradient but it's probably about another 15 20 degrees even well it's a 300 meter climb in about two and a half three kilometers so yeah somewhere between 10 and 15 degrees i think yeah and it hurts it really really hurts it does it does um and it but it's fairly consistent uh, you cross a road a couple of times um, and then you get up to Los Llanos and then you're it's pretty that's then really the flattest bit of the race is the finish is slightly uphill um, ever so gradually and you can feel that uphill I, I I stopped and walked a bit of it you know I'm a, less than a kilometer from the end of a 75 kilometer race and I my legs was just screaming at me to not run yeah um, and I didn't run for a bit and then this uh, bloke stood alongside me and in Spanish was clearly saying stop being weak get running you're very <laughs> close to the finish so i kind of just picked my feet up and shuffled to the end yeah yeah and then you you, you run along the road don't you for quite it's quite straight for um a couple of well About a kilometer, kilometer. A kilometer or so and then it does it just before the end in the last couple of hundred meters it turns right to uh, it turns right then turns left and you're into the funnel and then all of a sudden you know you've got the last 150 meters and it's just kind of lined either side really and you, you feel like a champion well you do but even all the way up that road all the way up that kilometer the, the road's lined with bars and once again there's people offering you all sorts of bits of pieces that there's no there's no way you want to eat or drink at that point um do you know what a beer might have been good but i i really didn't fancy it yeah i was giving big chunks of watermelon by people and all kinds of things bits of orange and stuff it was uh you know i'm not exactly at the front <laughs> yeah, definitely mid-pack or just slightly behind mid-pack um that was nice yeah and that's it you get to the finish the finishing shoot's got sort of five people deep and lots of pumping music and chanting when you get to the finish line don't forget you've just run 12 13 14 15 hours stick your hands in the air don't worry about stop don't worry about stopping your gps as you cross the line the extra five seconds don't matter get your hands in the air and get a decent finishing photo which once again i forgot to do as i crossed the line but they they got like six or seven photographers haven't they lied down just taking yeah. photos of everyone so even if you didn't even if you were stuck in people crossing the line kind of i i wandered you, you pointed it out to me i just kind of wandered up to them and kind of bent over and gave thumbs up and stuff and they snapped snapped a few photographs and that's actually my main photo from the event is actually um when i got just uh leaning in front of the photographers and, and of course um a lot of the transvulcanian hours filmed and so 
it's streamed online and my family were back in the UK and they were following it because because you trip chip tracked they could see where I was going and it gave an estimated finish time and they put it on the TV in the house and watched me finish on the big screen which yeah. was brilliant my my daughter chanting and cheering me on and not quite realizing that I can't actually hear her because I'm you know nearly <laughs> 2000 miles away yeah my kids saw me as well finishing yeah so it's lovely and um and then at the finish they've you don't forget to collect your finishers t-shirt they don't really advertise that they're there you kind of have to spot that they're there and get them um and then make sure you've got a if you've got a clean top with you that long sleeve top whether it be a a thin jacket or a long sleeve t-shirt you have with you to take to the start if you've got that with you you can then put that on because they insist you put on a clean t-shirt if you want to have a post-race massage which is what i did while I waited for Thane. <laughs> he was a good while behind you. It, <laughs> I I'd, I'd quite, it, it was no, it was really nice finishing, and then we just kind of wandered back to the car, which we had parked near the bus station, so it's only a bit of half a mile walk. Um, that was it. It was no, it was really good. We we kind of hanged around yeah, the finish for yeah. We finished. We were hanging around the finish for about thirty minutes, I guess, after I'd finished, just pulling ourselves back or pulling me putting myself back together. Um, that yeah. half mile walk really hurt. I was in bare yeah. feet at that point. Yeah and oh god did it hurt so i i would like to um i look at our strava stuff now we did the race what last may it's now january um 2018 um yeah yeah and, yeah 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 anthony managed to lo- managed to upload his race data to strava last night it's only taken however eight months um, However, we did notice I'd made one small mistake. When we got back to the UK and I went to do my next run, <laughs> I forgot to I forgot to zero my GPS before I started running. And so I added that bit of that run onto the end of my Transalcani run. So my GPS now thinks my Transalcani run lasted 10 days and that I ran <laughs> yeah. 2,000 miles. Yeah, 240 hours it took you to run Transalcani, which looks quite funny. <laughs> uh, three hours per kilometre, I think it was. Um, but anyway, forgetting that point, uh, we were actually able to go in on Strava and look at this. There's loads of segments along the whole course, which obviously people have put in over time. So we were able to look at the segments and even though we didn't see each other very much, well, we only saw each other briefly once really on the run, just see how we did. Um, and so just, just taking a few minutes to go through that. Um, yeah, sure. should say that, Anthony, your, your GPS watch. Yeah, shall I? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think there's a bit in all of this that says you're about to do this big race. Make sure you've got your prep right from packing your race vest the night before and knowing where everything is and being able to get it in and out very quickly to the simple things like knowing how your GPS works. So on the start, just for the start, I was trying to, I can't remember what I was trying to do with my GPS, and I managed to lock the GPS so none of the keys would work. And it said it was locked, and then I couldn't unlock it. And so when I started the race, I couldn't start my GPS, and I was just pressing buttons randomly for about the first, I think it was eight minutes uh, of the race. And then I managed to magically unlock it. I now know how to do it. And so, yeah, real mistake there. I've been practicing for this race and getting ready for it for ages. Um, and a simple thing like that, not knowing my kit very well, it kind of could have spot, really spoiled the race. Because I think knowing how fast I was running and knowing times, because we practiced it and really helped me in the race. Yeah. So the, the first Strava, so we can't really get that first from the start to Los Canarios um, as a segment. But the next best thing was the segment that does half of that. And what was really interesting in looking at these charts, it basically has, um, it's my progress reference, Anthony. So Anthony, uh, for people who know about Strava, it's kind of like a virtual racetrack. So it assumes you both started the segment at the same time in, in relative speak, although clearly on the ground we were a little bit apart. But relative to each other over this segment, so it was the second half of that first run up to Los Canarios. Um, it's, what, three kilometres? And I think it's really amazing that looking at the, the tracking, we were no more than five seconds difference in pace. Um, so if we would be running next to each other side by side, one of us was no more than five seconds ahead or behind the other one for half an hour, which I think is quite amazing, really. The next segment is the whole segment which is two hours 46 minutes it took you Anthony um, and I was uh, just one minute 20 seconds slower and that was from uh, Los Canarios all the way to El Pilar and interestingly again all the way up until the CDS which is must be a good what hour and a half or so maybe a bit more actually maybe get over two hours and three quarters basically I was 
one minute ahead of you for the whole yeah. of that time correct and we only varied by about 10 seconds so over that almost like getting on for two hours worth we were doing exactly the same pace and i think you were about a minute behind me i'd stopped at canarios so you didn't really stop for anywhere near as long as i did yeah. i stopped to fill bottles and stuff so. yeah um at, at uh, cds it looks like you stopped for a minute and i i know i didn't stop at all i just ran through so that's a genuine one minute yeah. stop and then because of my ankle rolling incidents which we've mentioned on a couple of podcasts um my my downhill is slower than yours for this race because i was, I was yeah. bandaged up quite heavily and then for the rest of that next uh, hour and a quarter or so yeah i ran that section slightly quicker than you it says it says one minute 20 but i think i didn't actually because of it's only that section that i was one minute 20 quicker than you on so i think i was slower on the bit from the start so actually as i said we arrived about three quarters of a minute different uh, yeah of different yeah yeah it's just amazing i think that over that length of time our pace was so similar it's incredible yeah the next one i won't go into in so much detail from here on the flat section from pilar to reventon we were practically about the same and then we went up we did the climb up to neve and i was a bit ahead by just a couple of minutes and then from that point i started to slow down we went around the top of the cardera um i was just slowly falling behind you um, up until the top so the top of there so this uh, relative to the so this segment is actually the whole marathon yeah. so it's from el pilar to tazacorte <laughs> so from the marathon uh, to Manchester machachos i was about 15 minutes behind then i think i stopped for an extra five ten minutes more than you at the aid station but then i lose another 35 minutes basically from the top down to the bottom so over the hill i was about 35 minutes slower than you you know, I, I ran it really well. I know I did. I, I've looked at the numbers and there were clearly I was passing. There were both marathon people and ultra people there. But I reckon I went past about 100 people. That's good going. Um, with about five people going past me in that section. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and that's clearly where I, I took the time out of you, really. Yeah. The segment that which is called Transvolcania Big Downhill. Um, you're 42 minutes faster than me. <laughs> But I, I, I knew that was going to be the case. We'd done it in yeah. training a few weeks beforehand, didn't we? And, I, you know, I just couldn't. I just I was having to be very careful on weak, weak ankles, yeah. which I did get close to straining a few times on yeah. the run itself. Um, yeah. So I think what, what, what we and noticed then, was that basically everyone, go on. Yeah, well, I know what you're going to say, but I'm not sure <laughs> I actually trust this time. Go on. My, my moment of glory. Yeah. Yeah. On the last segment, which is probably because I was going the downhill a lot gentler. Um, I'd probably saved a lot in my legs, but I think on that last section going up to uphill, back out to Los Llanos, I made up seven minutes. So, yeah, I mean, you, according to this, you did the last section in forty-two minutes. That's really, really quick. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it was wrong. <laughs> well, the, the, the total time for the whole thing race was my chip was my gun to chip time. So, uh, there's no, there's yeah. no, yeah, I, I did all right. I did all right. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing. I mean, forty-two minutes for the run for the for that five kilometers because it's so tough. Um, it's an amazing time. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with that. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm pleased with it. Yeah, but I, I, I had you know I hadn't taken the downhill at nearly the speed you had. You took an hour out of me. So, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, so I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, it was interesting analysis. Oh, really interesting. So I think that's it. That's Transalcania, mate. Yeah really enjoyed it really good um feeling of satisfaction having done it yeah and you know it's an amazing race the atmosphere on the island's amazing the people are lovely um all the runners were lovely to be fair i didn't come across one idiot or anything else in my race anything apart from the idiot that kicked a massive stone onto my foot right at the start um but i hey i don't think they really did that on purpose yeah it was brilliant yeah that that was brilliant yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a shame they can't do something with the start. That's the only little minor frustration. But, but it's a yeah, it's a fantastic course, extremely memorable. Um, I don't know anyone that's really got a bad word to say against it. It's um, planning to go back and do it again. In fact, aren't we? So yeah, I I, I think I think we might go back and do it next year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's it, Transalcania 2017. Well, I hope you found that useful. If you're going to run the race this year, good luck. All the best. We'd love to hear from you if you have. And you know what? I, I've got an idea that maybe we want to watch it live. I think so. And kind of record it as a podcast and maybe maybe somehow manage to suck, push it down into a podcast. Yeah, what with beers. Go watch it around your house. Watch their footage. At six o'clock in the morning with a beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah why yeah, not? 
because because they do have cameras out on the course don't they following the leaders um yeah. and, then, and then once the leading pack is through then it kind of concentrates on the finish but they cut around the place so um yeah that'd be really good so thanks for listening to the podcast uh please subscribe and you can follow us on twitter and instagram we're at runners on trail we're runners on trail on snapchat we are and you can email us runners on trail at gmail.com hope you enjoyed the episode we'll be back in february where hopefully we'll have done a fitness assessment yeah that could be quite hell that could looking forward to that vo2 max lactic threshold testing yummy yummy you're sick (laughs) 